Now, I think a very important topic, and, and I think there's an assault on what I believe to be a very important expression of Christianity. This is a very touchy subject, and I don't know why it is. I, I, don't, know, I don't know why it's a touchy sh- subject, but it is. And um, I have several things that I want to accomplish with this series. And, and overall, generally speaking, this series is just going to be called Standards and Convictions. Because our standards and convictions control everything that we do in our lives. And we have standards on everything. We have convictions on everything. Not just, and obviously we're going to be applying this specifically to the area of dress and modesty for the most part. But uh, we have standards and convictions on everything that we do or in everything that we do. Some standards are higher, some standards are lower. But what I want to do, there, there are several things that I want to accomplish with this series. Um, and, and I think foremost is that I want to permanently remove from your mind the fallacy that appearance does not matter. Appearance does matter. And in order to accomplish that, I, I'm going to look at a lot of Bible principles um, that relate here. And in doing that, I want to try to give you... Um, some reasoned rather than emotional explanation of standards that are necessary to help us to stand against the spirit of the age. Um, Obviously, things have changed very much in the last 50 years. Um, If you go back 100 years, and now you're talking about a a different, different, um, um, uh, I I was going to say millennium, but it's not a different millennium. It's a different century, but a, a completely different world. Maybe that's the word that I'm looking for. Uh, Things have changed, and as the spirit of the age has gone gradually more liberal, so has Christianity and uh, a lot of the principles that we believe and teach and everything else. And if I do my job correctly with this series, then I'm going to help you try to formulate standards uh, related to your appearance, standards that are not driven by me, standards that are not driven by your, uh, your fear or your pride or your carnality. But I want to help you formulate standards that are driven by your desire to reflect the holiness of Jesus Christ in your life. That's what this is all about. Um, And along with that, I want to make sure that you understand that how we look is not an isolated thing, that it it doesn't make us spiritual in and of itself, but it's also not divorced from our spirituality. Um, And there's a ditch on both sides of that road. And we're going to talk, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this. And so uh, to kind of, I'm going to talk about the fact that appearance does matter and why our appearance matters tonight. But then what I'm going to do starting next week is, is explain to you what a conviction is. What is a conviction? How do we set our convictions on any topic? And then what is a standard? And how do you set your standards based on any topic that we're talking about? And again, we're, we're, we're kind of focusing on this issue of dress and modesty, but it's bigger than that. It's a lot broader than that. And at the end of the day, our convictions and our standards are there to help us reflect the holiness of Jesus Christ in our lives. And if we can accomplish that, and we can get to that point where we have those standards because we realize that it's in the Bible, then I feel like we've accomplished something. Now, I, I've, I found this on Facebook a while back, probably, probably a year or more ago, and I saved it to use when I finally got to preaching this series and somebody sent it to me this afternoon, so I figured it would be a good time to use this to set up the series. It's, it's a little story. A girl bought an iPhone. When her father saw it, he asked her, what was the first thing you did when you bought that phone? She said, well, I put an anti-scratch sticker on the screen, and I bought a cover for the iPhone. He said, did somebody force you to do that? No. Don't you think it's an insult to the manufacturer? No, Dad. In fact, they even recommend using a cover for the iPhone. Well, did you cover it because it was cheap and ugly? She said, actually, I covered it because I didn't want it to get damaged and decrease in value. He said, when you, when you put a cover on it, didn't it reduce the, the beauty of the iPhone? 
She said, I think it looks better. It's worth it for the protection it gives my iPhone. The father looked lovingly at his daughter and he said, yet, if I had asked you to cover your body, which is much more valuable and precious than the iPhone, would you have readily agreed? She was mute. And the rest of it says, dear girls, always remember that indecent dressing and exposure of your body affects others' perception of your great value and in many cases causes them to lose respect for you. It's a great way to put it. It's a great, it's a great example. And I've been preparing for this series for a long time on standards and convictions, and I, I plan to preach it or, or teach through it. It's not, I'm not even really going to preach. I'm going to teach these things because I want you to understand it. But as things came up, it got pushed back and ended up that finally we're here. But to, to prepare for this series, really, along with everything that I learned growing up in a conservative, independent Baptist church, um, I have read through a lot of books, a lot of different series that other people have done on this, and I'm going to use a huge number of scriptural passages over the course of the next five, six, seven weeks, however long it takes us to get through this. But I'm also, I'm also using a, an excellent series by Pastor Tom Brennan, who is a, um, he's written a good number of books, but he did a series on this, and, and I found it to be very helpful, so I'm basing a lot of this off of that, but also a lot of books that have been helpful in my study. I'll read them to you here, uh, just so that you have them, and I, th- I thought I, um, that I did not give you a slide for that, did I? One, one with all those listed. I meant to do that so you could see them, but what I am going to do is order some of these books and, and let you, um, you know, make them available to you so that you can read through them if you want to, but uh, Dress, the, the Heart of the Matter by Shirley Starr. Dress, a Reflection of the Heart by Shirley Starr. What Shall the Redeemed Wear by Simon Schrock. Preaching Standards Right or Wrong by Dr. Mike Allison. Dressing for the Lord by David Cloud. What in the World Should I Wear by Kathy Corll. Uh, Christian Modesty and the Public Undressing of America by Jeff Pollard. Those are just a few of the books that I found that were very helpful that, honestly, I, I'm not, I can't get to everything. There's, there's a lot of things to talk about in this, under this topic, and so some of these books that go a little bit more in-depth, maybe give you some more examples and things like that would be very helpful for you, but I want to address this issue of, of uh, Bible teaching related to the Bible principles, the concept of standards, the body Modesty and immodesty and, and kind of a lot of little offshoots off of that. But, but I also then want to, want to address some of the common um, objections by other Christians. So what I believe to be very sound biblical principles that we find here in the Bible. So to begin with tonight, I, I'm going to give you three reasons why our appearance matters. And we're going we're gonna to take this very slow. Uh, and, and honestly, it's not necessarily in here going to be a discussion, but I, I want you to bring questions to me. If you have questions about anything that I mention, all right, um, I, I'm not doing this because I'm trying to force something on us. I'm doing it because I want you to try to understand it, and um, I, I, hope it, I hope that by the time we get to the end, you'll know what a conviction is, you'll know what a standard is, and you'll figure out where you should and could and can set your own personal standards. That's what we want to try to accomplish. So the first and the simplest reason why our appearance matters is we have to accept that our appearance is addressed in the Scripture. And I had you turn over to the First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 22 is one of the shortest verses in the Bible, but it says this, abstain from all appearance of evil. Now, there's a lot of other passages that talk about our appearance in the Bible, and we're going to get to those as we go throughout this series. But if God speaks it, then we should study it, we should learn it, we should apply it, we should seek to understand it. What does it mean? Second reason why our appearance matters is this, we have to realize it. In fact, turn over to First Samuel chapter 16. We have to realize that our appearance is the way that others see our Christianity first, okay? Others see our Christianity first by how we are dressed. Now, right or wrong, 
And we'll talk about that in a second, because honestly, this verse that we're going to look at in 1 Samuel 16 said the exact opposite of that. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16 is when Samuel was sent to go anoint the next king of Israel. And he saw Eliab, and he said, boy, that guy's certainly got to be the one that God wants to make the next king. And God said, no. And he went all the way down to the line, and, and, and Samuel said, then who is it? And they saw David, and he said, this kid? You want him to be the next king? This is what God told Samuel in verse number 7. The Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. So God's looking at our heart, but where does man look? I can't open up your chest and see inside your heart, can I? Nobody else can do that either. So you might have the greatest heart in the world, but if you're, if you're dressed in a way that's immodest, that's not the impression that you're going to give an outside world. And so our appearance matters because that's the way that others see our Christianity first. Like it or not, most people make a judgment call on the basis of how people look, how they act, how they behave, and on what's visible to them prior to them getting to know the person. That's how you make a judgment call about anybody, right? Um, I, I, when I'm out and about and I, and I see a lady in a nice, modest dress, the first thing that I think in my mind is she's probably a Christian, and, I, and I'll usually tell my wife that. I'll, I wonder where she goes to church or, 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 you know, if she's a Christian or whatever, because that's what you see first. And it may be that she's not a Christian. She might be a, a, an atheist. But the first thing that you judge that on is what she looks like on the outside. And if she's dressed in a modest dress, the first thing that I think of is that lady's probably a Christian, right? Same thing is true on the opposite end of the spectrum. If you see some girl in, you know, all black wearing these big, heavy, thick combat boots and she's got black fingernails and a pink mohawk and you know, chains everywhere and, and you know, looks like a pincushion from all the, uh, the piercings that she has all over her body and everything else, then the first thing that you think is probably not, I bet that's a good Christian who goes to church every Sunday, right? Now, she might have a great heart. She might, she might be the nicest girl in the world, but I don't know that until I start talking with her and, you know, get to know that girl a little bit if, if that's what I'm going to do. But what I'm saying is appearance matters because people make judgment calls by the way that you're dressed, by what you look like. And so, as a Christian, I shouldn't be primarily concerned with what people think about me, but I should be aware of how I look, how I act, how I sound, and how I behave, and, that, and, and how that produces the effect on other people around me. And I want that to be a godly effect. I want that to reveal Christ in me, right? If, if, if I look like a pincushion and I've got tattoos all over me and everything else and I'm walking out in the world, People are not going to say, I bet that's a pastor. Let me talk to him about my spiritual, you know, needs, right? I need to look the part. And again, that's what I'm saying. You can go into the ditch on the other side, and that's what so many Christians have done, is it's all about appearance. It's all about how you look, and now you're just dressing to try to impress people and to try to make them think what a great Christian you are. So there's a ditch on both sides of the road. But I think you understand the point that I'm trying to make here is that I want to reveal Christ in me, the hope of glory, but before I ever get to do that with my words, I have to be conscious of the fact that I can either help that or hinder that based on what others see when they look at me. And the third thing, the third reason why our appearance matters, and we're going to spend a little bit of time on this tonight, is that addressing the Christian's appearance is needed now more than ever. Uh, turn over to Mark chapter 1. And so this is what I want to take a little bit of time with. There are several reasons why a Christian's appearance and teaching on that and addressing that is needed more than ever now. And number one is because it's evident in America that we have a declining Christianity paired with a growing paganism. I, heard a, I just heard 
maybe a couple weeks ago, maybe less than that, that the number of, the percentage of people who actually believe that there is a God, period, not that they believe in him as a higher power or anything else, but just believe that there is a God, declined in the last 10 years from 96% to 90%. That means 10%. And if you think about the population of America, what is, what is the population of America? 350 million people, right? So that means 3.5 million people in America, no, that's 1%, 35 million people in America don't even believe in God. 35 million people. That's a lot of people. That's the size of, of some states, right? Whole states full of people that don't even believe in God. So you have this growing paganism and you have Christianity in the decline. We talked a lot about that this morning, right? So you have both of those two things combined. This is a time when Christians need to stand out as Christians. Christians need to stand up. And the problem is we don't want to do that. I don't want to stick out. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be looked at as weird and all of that kind of stuff. But the Bible says in Mark chapter 1 and verse number 15, when they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. And the passage goes on. That's where Jesus healed this, this, this guy that was just filled with demons. He was running around in the tombs, cutting himself naked, right? Breaking chains that they were trying to bind him with and everything else. And this guy gets right. And what's the first thing that he does? Puts his clothes back on, right? <laughs> he's sitting there, he's clothed, and he's in his right mind. And I think that's, I think that's a, a very valid point, that when you get saved, same thing happened with Adam and Eve, right? They ran around in the Garden of Eden naked. That's how God created them. There was no shame in it. They sinned, and the first thing that happened was they clothed themselves, right? They recognized that. But when a person individually or a society as a whole is operating under the effect of the devil or the effect of Christ is evident in their appearance, right? The same thing. I'll use the same example of some, you know, some some gothic person running around in all black and everything else. They're identifying themselves with satanic things, even if it's not Satan himself, right? And the same thing is true with somebody who dresses in a very modest way. And talking about men too, cutting your hair, you know, taking the earrings out, taking the necklaces off and all of those things. Those are things that set Christians apart. And we need that now more than ever. What, what do we find in America today? Kind of the opposite of that. Undeniably, we have this growing breakdown of any sense of modesty in public. It's almost like anything goes, and, the, and the, the more immodest you dress, the better it is, and the faster that becomes a trend, right? Yoga pants, they leave very little to the imagination. Activists are increasingly advocating for the, for the right to women to run around with less and less clothes on, Right? Um, local governments are, are routinely looking away as these pride parades are just, just completely indecent and exposing themselves to children and everything else, and nothing happens because of it as a result, even though they go completely against all the public indecency laws that are even on display in, 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 in a public arena, right? Um, and, and I could go on and on with what we're seeing as a breakdown of any sense of modesty in America, it's evident that in America that we have a declining Christianity paired with a growing paganism. And that's why it's an important reason to address the Christian's appearance. But the second reason is that we see a cultural captivity of American Christianity. And I've kind of mentioned this already, but turn over to Ezekiel chapter 22. Ezekiel chapter 22. When you have a decline in American Christianity and you have a growing paganism, then what happens is you have Christians who desire more than anything else to not stick out but to be like the world. And so 
the cultural captivity of American Christianity takes place. And we are captives not to Christ and to his holiness, but captives to what culture says is popular, captive to what culture says is necessary or expedient or in style or whatever you want to say. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse number 26. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and the profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean. And that's exact. I mean, these, these were the guys who were supposed to be the top of the top. They were the ones who were supposed to be holding that line if anybody was going to hold the line. And God said, even the priests have not separated between the holy and unholy, between the clean and the unclean. And that's exactly what we're seeing in American Christianity. We are marrying ourselves to a godless culture and trying to pretend that we're Christians at the same time. And you can't have it both ways. There is a difference between holy and profane. There is a difference between clean and unclean. And who's going to hold that line if we don't? The world's not going to do it. Christianity has to do that. Contemporary American Christianity, which really is the largest portion of American Christianity anymore, sadly, has, has been built to be like the world, so it is. It doesn't take much uh, of observation to go in, or not even go in, but just see some of these online services of some of these giant mega church, you know, non-denominational churches. You can't tell the difference between them and a crowd that's at some kind of otherworldly concert. They've married themselves to the worldly culture. And, it, and it's, it's not just the, the, the music, it's, it's with everything that's going on in a lot of these churches, which means it almost entirely fails to teach and preach against the world. How can you preach against worldliness when you are doing it? How can you preach against immodesty when you are doing it? How can you preach against almost anything in these churches when you're doing it? And that's why they preach about the love of God. And there's not, I mean, obviously God loves us. But there has to be something that we hold to that we don't let go of, that, that shows that we are Christians, and the more we marry with the, with the worldly culture, the less distinctly Christian we are and the less influence we have on that world. That's why in those giant mega churches, they're not leading people to Christ. People are not getting saved. They're coming in, they're, they're having a feel-good experience for a while, and then they leave, and they're no different. And that's why when you see them out and about in the world, you can't tell that they're a Christian. It might take weeks of getting to know that person to finally pull it out of them that they even tell you to go to, that they go to church, let alone that they claim to know Christ as their Savior or whatever else they claim. But something changed over the last 30, 40, 50 years because we, we certainly don't dress modestly like we used to. And believe it or not, like I talked about this morning, it wasn't the Bible that changed. It was Christianity. The Bible has been the same for the last 2,000 plus years. Nothing has changed other than us. We have changed the Bible to make it say what we want it to say. Christianity has changed as we've pulled away from the Bible. And it falls upon us then to change back into the conformity, not with the world, but with the Word of God. The third thing that we'll address in our appearance is that American Christianity, and even some independent Baptist movements, have wrong concepts of doctrine such as grace and liberty and legalism. And some of those are issues that we're going to discuss because that's what a lot of people hang on when it comes to this idea. Turn over to Jude. Jude. There's only one chapter in Jude, so we're going to look at verse number four. Because here's, here's what a lot of people claim. Well, I have Christian liberty. And you do. You do. But Christian liberty does not mean that you can live however you want. And that's what a lot of people claim Christian liberty is. 
there are still guidelines in the Bible. There are still commands in the Bible. Well, I have liberty in Christ. Yeah, I mean, you're saved, you're going to heaven, right? You can live how you want to and still end up going to heaven, essentially, if you really did get saved. And I think there's going to be a lot of people who are surprised to find themselves in heaven um, based on the way that they live and everything else because there's, there's one way to heaven and that's it. And it doesn't have anything to do with our actions and all of those kind of things necessarily. But um, grace does not mean that, that pastors cannot and should not draw clear lines in relation to what you wear, where you go, what you listen to, what you watch, and all of those other things. The Bible says this in Jude, verse number four. There are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. You know what that means? Exactly what a lot of Christians claim today. Well, I'm under grace. I'm, I'm saved. I'm under grace. God will forgive me. I can go live my life how I want to. I'm not under the law anymore. I'm under grace. I have this, this liberty in Jesus Christ, so I can live my life the way that I want to. And look what God says ungodly men that are turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. That's exactly what Jude is talking about. It's exactly what people in, this, in Christianity uh, and common Christian culture are saying today. It's all covered under grace. I can live my life how I want, and if I'm wrong, then God, you know, God's going to forgive me anyway. That's not what grace is about. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin... Live any longer therein. Grace is not there to give us a license to sin. It's a way to, to keep us from sinning. It's the exact opposite of that. And so having and preaching standards of appearance does not intrinsically make me legalistic, which is what a lot of people want to say. Well, you're just a legalist. Oh, you, you, just, you're, you want to tell everybody else what they have to do. And that's not true. But for all, the, all practical purposes, a lot of American Christianity operates in contradiction and in opposition to that. Their wrong doctrine has produced a wrong practice pretty visibly and pretty vocally because they're pretty vocal about it, but they're wrong on the doctrine of legalism and on the doctrine of grace and on the doctrine of Christian liberty. Those are doctrines, but they completely take them out of context to make it say what they want to say when the Bible very clearly says that's not what those doctrines are for. Number four is this. There's been an incorrect or overemphasis on standards in past generations and in some Bible colleges and schools, and that in turn has produced an overcorrection in a lot of younger people in the independent Baptist movement. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 4, because this is exactly what you see happening. Um, a lot of the culture in the 1970s and the 1980s when it came to standards of dress and modesty and everything else is, you're going to do it because I told you to do it. And you're going to follow it or you're not going to be here. You're going to, you're going to be gone and whatever else. And so people followed it. People did it because that's what they were told they had to do if they wanted to continue doing whatever. And so what happened then is those kids in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s grew up never having been taught why it's important to have convictions, never having been taught why it's important to have standards, only knowing that they had been required to do it. And so as soon as they got away from it, they threw it off and don't want anything to do with it anymore. They don't want to come back to it because of the ditch on the other side of the road, right? So they, they make a correction. They're starting to go down into that ditch, and instead of getting back into the middle of the road, they make a correction, and they go all the way into the other ditch on the other side of the road. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, Solomon told us, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. God measures the heart first, most 
and always, not necessarily how long your skirt is. But God tells us that some things are weightier than others, and whether a man's haircut is tapered or blocked in the back is, is not on that weighty list. And so when you have colleges or churches that made conformity to an outward appearance the equivalent of good Christianity, then they were wrong, right? I, I mean, we, we do have standards. We do have convictions. But when you say, well, as long as you are dressed like this, then you're a good Christian. And that's, what, that's, that's wrong. That's wrong. It does not make somebody a good Christian necessarily by following a standard that's been set by a, a man or by an organization or something like that. Um, but a ditch on both sides is still a ditch. And the solution to an incorrect or wrong emphasis is not no emphasis. And that's what a lot of people have gone to today. And, and that's where you're coming up with this idea of this neo-independent Baptist. They were independent Baptists. You have you have a lot of different versions of that. And when you say that somebody's an independent Baptist, it does not necessarily mean the same thing that it used to mean 20, 30 years ago. There's a neo-independent Baptist, which is this crowd that is moving away from the King James Version. They're moving into contemporary mu uh, music. They're moving completely away from standards of dress and modesty and all of those things because we didn't like what they did. They told us we had to do it, and we, we were just outwardly conforming and everything else. So we're jumping out of that ditch, and we're jumping into this one. And like I said, both of them are still ditches. It's, it's a ditch on both sides. We still need to teach what God says about our appearance, even if somebody else previously or presently misapplies and misuses it. Here's number five, the fifth reason why teaching on this is, is important today is because most pastors of all stripes nowadays are afraid to discuss it. And again, I, I, I don't know why this is such a, a controversial topic. It is. And uh, I'll be honest with you. Any, anytime pastors are afraid to touch an issue, there's a deep problem. And most pastors, I, I've talked with, with pastors on the phone who, who have said very plainly, I don't teach on it because I don't want the controversy in my church. I don't, I don't want to have to deal with it, so I don't even teach on it. And that's wrong. If it's in the Bible, it needs to be taught on whether it's comfortable for me to teach on it or not. I, I'll be honest with you, and I'll be the first one to say that this is not a comfortable series for me. I believe it 100%, but it's not a comfortable series for me because I know that in Christianity as a whole, it's a very hot-button issue, and there's not a lot of people that are willing to change and and give their dress over to God. Uh, turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Because this is very explicitly, and, and in 2 Timothy chapter 4, obviously, these are called pastoral epistles. First and 2 Timothy are pastoral epistles. The Apostle Paul is teaching a young preacher boy, Timothy, how to preach, how to lead. And he very explicitly tells him, and in telling him, tells all preachers, Verse number two of 2 Timothy chapter four. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. As I've told you many times before, I'm going to answer to the Lord for what I preach. And I'm going to answer to the Lord for what I don't preach. And if I'm afraid to speak about something for fear of somebody getting upset or fear of somebody getting mad or fear of somebody leaving or something like that, then I am not faithful to what God has called me to do. And that is to reprove, rebuke, exhort. Now, where most people miss it is with all long-suffering and doctrine. They miss the long-suffering side of it. They miss the doctrine side of it. You're going to do it because I said you're going to do it. And that's what I'm trying to avoid. Like the plague, I'm trying to avoid that. But I have to be willing 
to, to lose friends or to lose people in the church. It's the last thing I want to do. It's the last thing I want to do. But I have to be willing to do it if I'm going to preach the whole counsel of God. And I don't think it'll lead to that, but I, I have to speak what I believe God would have me to speak, especially when so many men have given up addressing it. Maybe you've heard this before, but the old statement says, silence is golden, but sometimes it's just plain yellow. And uh, I think that's the way that a lot of pastors have gotten in, in our country, just afraid to touch it because they know that people are going to get mad or they know that people are not going to like it or they know that people are not going to accept it. And, and I, I certainly hope that that's not what's going to happen here. I, I, I'm not doing it because I'm like, you know what, time to start filtering people out. It's not why we're doing it. It's not why I'm teaching. I'm teaching because I believe it's an important enough issue that we need to talk about it. And I want you to understand it. And the sixth thing then is this. And you can turn over to Galatians chapter 6. Believe it or not, this is a church issue. And that's why it's, that's why it's important to teach on our appearance and why appearance matters. I, I've been in the ministry for 21 years now. And I know... Not all of that has been as a pastor. I was, I was an assistant pastor for, well, essentially 11 years. And um, it's, no, I, I said 21. It's 17. Sorry. I'm over, overestimating. 17 years. And m- most of you have no idea um, that I've had men come to me struggling with the way that somebody's dressed and how it's affected them in the church. And I, you know, it's not one of those things that I'm necessarily going to address publicly, but I think that means that there's a lot more people who have problems that are not going to say something to me about it or whatever else. But God's people should not ignore weaknesses in each other. Um, we, we should be spiritually mature enough and loving enough to occasionally, and, and, and if, if need be, carefully confront one another when it's necessary. Um, or, or do what you've done and bring it to me as a pastor to deal with. The Bible says this in Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 1. If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, you don't need to turn over there, but it says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. This, this issue in the American church is not a new issue. It's been around for a long time. And it, it has to be dealt with as long as there have been Christians and as long as there have been churches. It, it's been dealt with. And so, again, I'm not, I'm not preaching something new. I'm not trying to... Um, maybe give you something that maybe you've never heard it before, and 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 maybe and that's that's why I'm that's why I'm doing it this way. I want you to understand it. I want you to see it from the Word of God why it's important and why it's necessary. And I don't. The last thing I want you to think is, well, I'm doing this because that's what Pastor says we have to do. If that's why you're doing it, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And and if that's why you're doing it, then I completely missed the boat in teaching it, and you completely missed the boat in the way that you're hearing it. I, I'm not doing this because I want you to go away saying, well, that's what he said we have to do, so I'll do it. I want you to understand it from the word of God and see that this is not me. This is the Bible that's giving us these principles and standards and convictions. Now, in the early two, 200s, we're going way back, Tertullian was actually a pastor in Carthage, and, and he could be considered part of the early church. Now, he wasn't there with Paul and Timothy and Peter and all of those guys, but he came right after them. And he wrote an entire book on women's dress, and believe it or not, it still exists today. But here's just one paragraph, for example. He said this, you know that in the eye of the perfect, that is Christian modesty, carnal desire of oneself on the part of others is not only to be desired, but even execrated by you. Why therefore excite towards yourself that evil passion? Why invite that to which you profess yourself a stranger? For where God is, their modesty is. Martin Luther dealt with it. The Puritans dealt with it. John Wesley dealt with it. The Westminster Catechism deals with it. 
And believe it or not, in, in a, um, a pretty interesting passage in the 18th century, uh, 18th century English pastor, uh, John Newton. What is John Newton well known for? He wrote Amazing Grace, right? And he, he, he wrote extensively. He, he wrote hymns and things like that, but he, he also wrote several books. And this is what he said in, in his book. The improprieties of the tyranny of fashion. Now, remember, this is in the 1700s. This is when everybody wore the, the big puffy ball dresses and all that other kind of stuff. You know, like if you think of, uh, uh, and I, I'm, I'm saying something that I don't necessarily know anything about, but like Pride and Prejudice or one of those, you know, they go to the ball and do all that kind of stuff, right? This is when he's writing this. The improprieties of the tyranny of fashion are not simply ridiculous. They are serious evils in a religious view, and to speak of them in the gentlest terms, they are signs of a careless, inconsiderate spirit, very unsuitable to a professed regard to the gospel. We are required to attend to the things that are lovely and of a good report. Every willful deviation from this rule is sinful. Why should a godly woman, or one who wishes to be thought so, make herself ridiculous or hazard a suspicion of her character to please and imitate an ungodly world? But the worst of all the fashions are those which are evidently calculated to allure the eyes and to draw the attention of men. It is not strange that modest and even pious women should be drawn into an immodest compliance. Yet I have sometimes been in company with ladies of whose modesty I have no doubt, and of whose piety I entertained a good hope when I have been embarrassed and at a loss which way to look. They are indeed noticed by men, but not to their honor nor advantage. The manner of their dress gives encouragement to vile and insidious men and exposes them to dangerous temptations. Their immodesty has often proved the first step into the road which leads to misery and ruin. They are pleased with the flattery of the worthless and go on without thought like a bird flying into a snare, little knowing it would cost him his life. But honest and sensible men regard their exterior as a warning signal not to choose a companion for life from among people of this light and volatile turn of mind. That's a great way to put it. And this was, this was from a guy who, who was around people who were, for the most part, completely dressed, right? It's, even gotten, it's only gotten worse since then. And in closing, I, I say that this subject needs to be studied, it needs to be taught, it needs to be discussed, it needs to be applied, and perhaps it's the first time you're hearing it. Um, or maybe you've heard the concept but never heard an explanation of why it's necessary to follow modesty in this way. And it's, it's not the end-all, be-all of Christianity. You, as a you know, modest woman, does not make you a good Christian. And, and I suppose to be immodest does not make you, the, you know, the devil's best friend either. But it's, important, it's an important, important issue that needs to be studied. And I believe that as a church, I, I think we're ready for that next step. I think we're ready to, to more closely reflect the holiness of Jesus Christ in our lives. And that's what we're trying to accomplish I, the reason it's taken me five, six years to get to this point is because there's a lot of things that need to be talked about that I do think are probably more important issues than modesty. But this is a very important issue, and it, and it needs to be talked about, it needs to be discussed, it needs to be understood. And so I'll gladly have an open discussion with anyone that wants to as we move forward because I, I want you to understand it. I want the standards and the convictions to become yours, not just something that you do because I said this is what you need to do or I said this is what our church is going to do uh, and this is how it's going to be done in the church. God sees my heart and he knows that my desire here is to edify. I'm not trying to control your life. 
I'm not trying to mandate what you can do 24 hours a day and all of those kind of things, but I'm trying to edify you from the Word of God. Our goal ought to be to love the Lord supremely in our hearts and then to embrace the importance of making that visible in our appearance. It's, it comes down to a matter of whether you're willing. Now, we say, I'm giving all my... We talked about it this morning, right? Seek the Lord with all your heart, right? God can have everything in my heart. I've given everything to him. All to Jesus I surrender, but not my clothes, right? All to Jesus I surrender, but not this issue. That's something that, that we're not allowed to talk about. That closet is mine, right? Have we surrendered it all to him or have we not? Are we giving it all to him or are we not? Because if we're going to give him all our heart, then we have to give him all our heart. We can't keep a little piece of it and then pretend that we're giving it all to him. And listen, you may get to the end of this series and you might say, you know what? Good verses and all that stuff, but I'm not convinced. Hey, if that's, the, if that's, if that's what you come down to at the, end of all of the, uh, at the end of everything that we talk about, then so be it. But I want you to understand from the word of God why this is important and why it's necessary. And, and hopefully tonight you understand that our appearance does matter. That is what a world sees to define whether or not we're a Christian. Now, it, it, it may be completely off, but that's what they see. Because the first thing you do when you see a person is you make a judgment call on, on what they are, right? We just, we naturally do that. We size somebody up. What is this person about? What are they doing? What, you know? And the way you look has everything to do with that. I, I get asked all the time, you in the military? No, I'm not in the military. But you know what? The way, and, but it gives me a great opportunity to say, no, I'm not in the military. I'm a pastor. Oh, oh, that makes sense, right? Because the way you dress and the way you look matters. And what we're trying to accomplish in the way that we look is to reflect the holiness of Jesus Christ. I would rather, I would rather have somebody come up to me and accuse me of being some fanatical, radical Christian than to have somebody not have any idea that I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. And, and again, this, this is, it's easy for men. It's very easy for me, right? I, I, it's, it's not hard. For, I, it's, I'm not going to come in and address, right? So I don't have to worry about changing my clothing, right? Um, it's hard for ladies, and, and I get that, and I'm trying to be tender with that whole issue and everything else, and that's why I I'm, I'm, I'm want to take my time going through this. I want to help you understand it. If you have questions about it, I want you to ask me uh, because this is, this is something that's important. And hopefully over the next few weeks and maybe even a couple months, as we talk about what standards are and what convictions are, it'll help you get to that understanding where they become yours and not just something that I'm saying you need to do, right? It's, it's an important issue. Let's pray. We'll sing our song and we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. I do pray that, that this would be an issue that would be helpful to us that this will be an issue that will help us to reflect the holiness of Jesus Christ in our life, that it will be an issue that will help us to be able to be a witness for Jesus Christ because somebody sees that there's something different about us, even if it's just a, some, something as simple as the way that we dress. And God, I pray that, that you would use this in our hearts, not so that we can say we're better than somebody else, not so we can walk around in pride about how we look or act or whatever else, but so that you might be glorified in our lives. And that so we can hold the line as Christians to be a light in a world that is so dark, to be a light in, in an American Christian culture that is so married to the world, I pray that you'd help us to be different for the sake of being a peculiar people, zealous of good works, so that somebody might come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior 
because we are the testimony that you wanted us and needed us to be. And God, I pray that you'd help us to understand these things and, and, and to grasp them from the word of God so that we might make them our own and so that you might use us in a greater way because of it. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.